Yes, well, good morning, everybody, every campus. Um, I am so excited to get to be with you today. Let me, t- let me just start by saying this. Uh, in a group text I was in this, uh, this week, Caleb White, who is our FUSE director, he said, man, I just love who our church is becoming. And can I just testify to that as well, that I love who our church is becoming as we're stepping into our 21st year. Hey, everybody here knows when you turn 21, that comes with some added responsibility, some added weight, and hey, some added authority. And I believe God is giving that to this house. All right, that's why we're starting the year with a whole series about revival. So can we just jump straight in this morning? Every campus across the state, we're gonna jump right in talking about revival. Can we just start there? Can we just start by talking about revival? I mean, you showed up here at 9.15, so let's get it. Um, who at New Spring would say that you want revival? Right? Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We all want revival. We want our church to be awakened. We want our communities to be brought together. Uh, if, you know, we have that song, God of revival, pour it out, amen. But if you're from my generation, um, anybody know who Kirk Franklin is? Do you want a revolution? Yeah. There are some saints in the house today. That was a song, I can remember walking into youth group and being like, this is the best song that I have ever heard in my life. And I indeed, the Holy Spirit through Kirk Franklin, I do want a revolution. The best that like my fifth, sixth grade mind could understand. Um, but the thing is, we all want revival, we, we pray for it, we sing songs about it, but the question is, what is it? Right, what is Revival, and so I'll just say quite frankly and to the point, I believe revival is this. Revival is a community consumed by the presence of God. Revival is a community consumed by the presence of God. And here's the thing, when you get consumed with the presence of God, I mean absolutely saturated by his presence, then the desires of your heart and the things that you want and the things that you desire, they change. And so it means that when we go into a community, it isn't just like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. No, if we are consumed by the presence of God, then the the kingdom cannot help but to break out everywhere we go because that's what God's presence does. So I want that. The question is, what does altars have to do with that? Right, because that's what this whole series is, is about. So if you were here last week, you heard Brad teach on this, that the altar is a place where God and man meet. The altar is a place where God and man meet. It's a place of presence, it's a place of sacrifice, it's a place of communion, it's a place of coming and being consumed, namely consumed with a relationship. And you see this happen all throughout the Bible. I mean, Abraham constructs an altar and God meets him there. Elijah constructs an altar constructs an altar and fire falls from heaven. The people of Israel consume an altar out in the wilderness and it says that, that the presence of God would come like a cloud and like fire and, and meet with them. I mean, altars are all over the Bible where God and man meet and here's the thing. The presence of God is drawn to altars. The people of God are called to altars and it's where those two meet that revival happens. So why are we preaching on altars? Well, because the altar is where revival begins. The altar is where revival 
begins. So we wanted to kick off this year talking about the altar in four specific ways. That's the altar of the heart that Brad came around last week. And I just want to honor Brad Cooper and the unction, the the passion that he preached with last week. Can we honor him, church? I mean, what a tone. What a tone to set for 2021. And I'll tell you, not just on stage, but in in quiet places and meetings, Brad is consistently challenging us that we have to be serious about the things of God. And he leads the way in that. So last week was the altar of the heart. Next week, Dan is gonna come and preach a word on the altar of the church. We're gonna wrap up by talking about the altar of the city. But today I get to speak about an altar that hits a little closer to home. It's a pun and it's a bad joke. But we're gonna talk about the altar of the home. Now, you've probably seen this uh, chalkboard behind me. Now, I'm going straight teacher today. My mom is a fourth grade teacher. She was my fourth grade teacher. Yes, I had to call her Mrs. Knox. And I got in trouble if I didn't. But today I wore my blazer and I brought a chalkboard because we're serious about the things of God today, okay? So you've probably seen this scripture, you know, on a print you bought from Hobby Lobby, Um, no Hobby Lobby hate, but just don't go unless it's 50% off, unless you just got it different than I do because I can't afford it unless it's 50% off. But many of us have this hanging on our home, but do we know the context of this scripture? Do we know what was happening in culture at the time? Because the thing is, this hanging on our walls, but not defined in our hearts, won't do very much good. Actually, it'll make us a liar. And I don't want anybody, Lord knows I don't wanna be a liar. And I don't want any of us to live as liars. So we're gonna clarify this today from scripture and where this comes from and teach on it a little bit. So this actually comes from Joshua, surprise, surprise, the book of Joshua is centered around a leader called Joshua and he was the man who took over uh, after Moses died. We all know Moses, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go, hey, okay? So Moses leads the people into the wilderness and Joshua takes over after his death. At this point, Joshua's old now. He's old Papa Joshua. He has led the people into the land of Canaan, the promised land that God had promised to them when they left Egypt. He has defeated many armies with them. He has seen the walls of Jericho fall down beside them. I would have loved to be there, by the way. He has um, seen families grow with them, but now he's old. And I want to encourage you to go back and read Deuteronomy, which is Moses' last message, which he definitely didn't have a 35-minute counter counter on a screen when he preached Deuteronomy, because that thing's like 35 chapters, all right? So they were there for a long time listening to his final message. But Joshua, pre- he's, he's giving this final word because you can hear the dad desperation in his voice of like, please remember what God did because I'm about to be gone. I won't be able to call you to account anymore. I won't be able to, to remind you. You have to remember. You have to choose. And then he starts with this scripture and then we see the people's res- response in Joshua 24. He says those familiar words, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, well, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So the people essentially respond to Joshua's challenge. They're like, yes and amen, we are in Joshua. As for me and my house as well, we will serve the Lord. They're like, let's ride. But then we see something 
from that page to this page in Judges 2, verses 6 through 10. Look at this. So Joshua dismissed the people and the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Heres and the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. Look at this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Quick question, how from this page to this page do we find a generation who does not know about the Lord? This quickly, listen to this. That's how quick, that's how thin the line seems. What happened between, yes, we're in, we will serve the Lord to there arose another generation who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for them. What happened in this page? What happened in those years? Well, quite practically, just some logical things happened. The people began to settle in the promised land, which means they started to accumulate some possessions. They started to gain some actual land. No longer is the whole camp of Israel centered around the tent of meeting where their whole focus was day in and day out for 40 plus years in the wilderness. No, now they're spread out all across the country. No miraculous provision anymore, no manna falling from heaven, no reliance on quail in the evening. There began to be accumulation. And so what you see between Joshua 24 And Judges 2, is an altar gap. And this isn't a gap of the altar of the people, because it says that they followed all the days of Joshua. They took the heart thing seriously. It wasn't a gap of the church, because the type of worship that they did, that carried on through generations. This wasn't a gap of government. This wasn't a gap of education. This altar gap right here was a gap of an altar in the home. They didn't take personal responsibility for their home and how they were passing on the things of God. Maybe their kids saw them going to church. Maybe they went to temple with them, but they didn't see anything being brought home. Maybe their parents had a Yahweh bumper sticker on their, their donkey pulling carts. Maybe they saw their parents worship, but apparently there was no invitation to active participation in what a life put on the altar looks like inside of their own house. Church, I don't want this to be us. I love Fuse with my whole heart. I hope I'm the, the just crazy old lady who still has a Fuse group and they're like, crazy old mayor. And I'm like, that's right, not going anywhere. I, I love Rally. I love Kids Spring. Kids Spring, our student ministry, is one of the greatest gifts, not just to our church, but to the world as thousands of churches lean in and use our curriculum. But let me tell you something. Nothing and no one can take the place of what goes on in our houses and what we are passing down. 
As for me and this house, God, I pray, let us serve the Lord. So the question is, how do we make sure this doesn't happen? Hopefully we all feel that sweet, you know, pain of conviction. But how do we put that into action? Well, since Joshua is such a good leader, he leaves us with that in the verses right before that familiar verse, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look at this in Joshua 24, 14 through 15, and then this will provide the structure of our message for the rest of the day. He says this, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe this leader is not just outlining for Israel, but outlining for us three ways that we can build an altar in our home today. Single, married, kids, no kids, single again, whatever it is, all of us have an opportunity to build an altar in our home and to pass on the things of God. So can we gather around the altar today and beg God to consume us? Can I get an amen from the house if you're ready for that today? All right, here we go. Three ways to build an altar in your home. Just call me the Joanna Gaines of New Spring Church, okay? If you don't know who that is, ask your wife. All right. Number one, choose the Lord every single day. Choose the Lord every single day. I know Joshua ends with this, but I actually want to start with this because first we have to opt in to this kind of life. We gotta choose. And not just at the moment of salvation, this is an every single day kind of choice where we wake up in the morning and we say, God, you have my yes again. You have my submission again. You have my obedience again because y'all know yourselves or maybe you're better than me, which is totally possible. But we tend to drift away if God doesn't get our daily intentional yes. Because here's what I believe about the people of Israel. I don't think they had any like malicious intent. I don't think they were purposefully lying when they told Joshua, yeah, we're in. I just don't think they fully knew what they were saying yes to. So let me ask you, Christian, do you know what you said yes to? And listen, I don't mean just salvation. Listen, salvation, free gift. Jesus paid it all. That's true. Salvation is free, but discipleship, following Jesus every day, that costs something. If you wanna really challenge yourself and just get a swift kick to the spirit, um, go ahead and go and get Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. That thing is thick with two C's, okay? But discipleship costs something. Even in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said that if you're gonna follow me, you gotta take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and daily follow me. I think we all know what a cross was used for. A cross was a marking of death. When you saw a man walking down a street carrying a cross, you're like, ooh, that man's not coming back from where he's going. Can I tell you that when I say yes to Jesus, I'm committing, I'm not going back. My life is on the altar, my home is on the altar, my car is on the altar, my finances are on the altar, my budget is on the altar. 
Because when we do that, when we choose to come and die with Jesus, then he promises we will be resurrected to a life like his. If you feel like you are lacking power in your life, you pray for miracles and maybe it doesn't happen and you're scared to pray for miracles or you're not living in the same way as someone else, can I tell you, then maybe it's because you have received salvation but you have not yet received the call to come and die with him. We are crucified with him so that a new life may be resurrected. So let me tell you what this means for New Spring. I wrote this down and I believe this wholeheartedly. An altar needs something to burn and a revival needs someone to consume. An altar needs something to burn and a revival needs someone to consume. Leonard Ravenhill puts it this way. We must alter the altar. For the altar is a place to die on. Let those who will not pay this price leave it alone. Ooh, that is heavy words. No, that's a light burden when you follow Jesus. So here's my call to us as a church, okay? The church house is a reflection of every family house it represents. This church house is a reflection of every family house it represents, meaning this church can never look different than the family houses it represents. New Spring is an accumulation, a display of everything that is going on in all of our homes, mine included. So let me just tell you, and I'm gonna do a confession with this to just show you I'm going first. If you've ever said anything like, um, man, I just wish worship at New Spring would look like blank. Does it look like that in your home? Because if it doesn't look like that in your home, then it can never look like that in this house. Let me tell you, this is a confession time. Uh, I get frustrated with some of y'all. Families can say that. Right, that's a family thing. There was like some awkward laughter. It's okay, I love y'all with my whole soul. But sometimes I'm up here leading worship and I'm like, I mean, I just feel like I'm like exhausting my vocal cords coming, go, just, just going for it and I look down and it's just. And my flesh starts to go, what a heathen. <laughs> Confession, don't judge me. You know how hard it is to be leading worship and get really convicted at the same time? Like I just need to put my mic down and be like, I'll see y'all later, you know? Because I've done that before. I've felt that in, in my mind. I've thought those thoughts while I'm singing King of Kings and the Holy Spirit has convicted me and said, I'm sorry, the way you're leading worship right now, have you led yourself in worship like that all week? And I'm like, <laughs> praise forever to the King of Kings, you know? <laughs> worship in this house can look no different than worship looks in my house and I'm committed to go first with you. How about this? I just wish prayer in our church would look like this. We don't pray enough. Does it look like that in your house? How many hours are you spending on the floor? I just want our church to be about the Bible. How much Bible have you consumed this week? Because this church will never consume more Bible than we're consuming at home. This house looks the same as the accumulation of all of our family houses, and please hear me, I feel it. And I'm believing God is breaking through into our homes as we took that chalk home last week. Is our religion making it from the church house to our house? Because I can promise you, whatever's happening at your house is making it to the church house, whether good or bad. We gotta choose the Lord every single day. Number two, we gotta take personal responsibility for how my home brings heaven to earth. Take personal responsibility for my, how my home actively brings heaven to earth. Five times in those two 
verses, Joshua urges the people to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Jesus say to serve the Lord, either the gods of your fathers or serve the Lord. In the original Hebrew, that word avad, you like that? Avad. There's multiple possible translations for that, but overwhelmingly it means to work, to labor, or to do work. I added the, the do work because it just felt more like, I don't know, like we're in a gym and we're about to do work, you know? There is a, an active participation that must take place for us to serve the Lord and take personal responsibility for how our, our homes are bringing heaven to earth. So here's what I believe with my whole soul, okay? You can write this down today. The home is the primary place of discipleship, evangelism, and pursuing uncommon unity. Listen. As a church, I promise we are committed to those three things. We're begging the Holy Spirit to convict us more so we can be about those three things. We've had many conversations with many of you of how we can be better at those three things. I've seen our leadership on their face asking, convict us where we can be better at those three things. Our church is committed to that, but that's Dan's job to teach you next week. I got the home this week. So how can our homes be active in this? Because I've read somewhere that, that revivals burn out because there's no relationship to sustain them. And in our home is where that relationship will be sustained. So let's talk about these three. three. Let's talk about discipleship. Discipleship. John Tyson says, there is what you want to pass on and there's what you actually pass on. There's what you wanna pass on, there's what you actually pass on. So I'm gonna get personal and talk about what was passed on in my house. I'm the youngest of three, I'm the baby girl, and if many of you are like, mm, that means you're spoiled, I'm like, you're right, I was. I was very spoiled. I'm 33 years old and I still think I'm spoiled because I'm the youngest of three and I'm the only girl, and yes, my dad spoiled me. But my dad had this phrase all growing up. He still says it to this day where he would say, Meredith, do you know who you are? You're my daughter. And I'm like, you know how a kid is. Okay, Dad. Even this past Christmas, I went home. Meredith, you know who you are? You're my daughter. Okay, Dad. Well, this past Christmas, we've never really talked about it. I thought it was just like a dad catchphrase. You know how many of you have them? He looked at me and said, do you know why I always tell you that? No, sir. He said, because I wanted my family to never have to question their identity. He does this with my mom. Susan, you know who you are? You're my wife. <laughs> Brad, Michael, you know who you are? You're my son. And I, can I just tell you, I have struggled with insecurity like anybody else, but you know I've never had a real depth of gap of who I am, what my identity is. That's because that's what my dad passed on to me. The church didn't pass that on to me. My school didn't pass that on to me. The government didn't pass that on to me. That happened in my house by the words of my father passing on identity. My dad passed on what he actually wanted to pass on because there was intention there. Discipleship happens in the home. Let's talk about this, pursuing uncommon unity. If the recent past has taught us anything, it's that unity's not gonna happen as a result of our passivity. Can we agree? I want our country to be unified. I want our church to be diversified. But let me tell you, if we are waiting for a certain stage or a platform to solve the problem, that I'm telling you we may be waiting a long time. 
When our homes, God has given us a beautiful tool in our homes, especially here in America in the South, of what we have to, to pursue uncommon unity together. Where our homes, there is one place that I know to actively pursue uncommon unity, and it is around one table, mine. So I wrote down just a list of, of the kind of people I am talking about that I wanna read in front of us. I am talking about the rich and the poor, the old and the young, the Democrat and Republican, black and white, Hispanic and Filipino, members of New Spring Church and the church down the street, the educated and the ones who graduated from the streets, the religious and the rebel, the faith-filled and the barely hanging on, the single and the married, the ones with no kids and the ones with many, the Calvinist and the charismatic, the woke and the broke, the holy roller and the only slightly saved. Do you get my point? If there's nobody sitting around my kitchen table or on my couch who doesn't look like me or disagrees with me, then why on God's green earth would I ever expect them to sit in a church seat beside me? We gotta pursue a common unity in our homes. So let me just brag on somebody else, Hiking and Kareem. They're beautiful members of, of this church. They're some of my very good friends. And tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, as we all know. And Hiking just has a burden, not just for this house to look like a diversified, unified people. He has a burden for um, his home to look like that. So he sent out an Instagram to invite a COVID-friendly number of people over tomorrow to watch Selma, which is a story that, uh, a march that Martin Luther King Jr. led, to have pointed conversation around it and then to pray together for unity in our state and in our country. That's what it looks like. Here's what's awesome about that. He lights that fire in his home. His friend hears that there wasn't enough room in his house. So he said, hey, I'll open my home to watch Selma and to pray together and have pointed conversation. One fire lit in another home set a signal fire to be lit in a home down the street. That is how revival spreads. We have a place to pursue uncommon unity in our houses. And thirdly, evangelism, this is all I'm gonna say about evangelism when it comes to the home being the place for that. You do the first two, the third one will take care of itself. Because those two look a lot like Jesus and when people see Jesus, he's pretty irresistible. So we do the first two and evangelism will take care of itself because I'm telling you the greatest altar call that anybody may receive is the one that you give to come to your house where you cook dinner. And see if revival doesn't just break out. Now, in order to do those first, everybody okay, by the way, we good? All right, great. I feel great, I'm just making sure. The third way that we build an altar in our home, we gotta clean out some space for those things to happen. So this is where things get really light. We gotta cleanse my home of any and all idols. Just to end lightly today. Cleanse my home of any and all idols. I'm a very clean person. Anybody who, you just need your house in like a, a proper place, things clean, amen, people are full of the spirit of God. It gets a little, I have a roommate. Um, we live, we, you know, have, live in like the same standard, you know what I mean? But I get a little like weird. The hand towel has to hang a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Those who are like me, you'll get it. But how many of you know, maybe husbands, this is a good heads up. When you actually clean the house, you don't just vacuum the parts you can see. And you don't just sweep the parts you can see. So I'll just vacuum around the coffee table. No, you move the coffee table and then you vacuum under the coffee table. You move the furniture and you get behind the dusty corner because where do the spiders like to go? And everybody knows spiders are of Satan. You gotta move things and clean them out. You know it's the same way with idolatry? 
They have a way of just sneaking into our home, setting up camp in hidden corners with the dust and, and the darkness and coming in the back door, even on our best intentions, putting their feet up on the coffee table and pretending that they're not there to ruin anything while they're destroying altars that are supposed to be made to God and building up altars to themselves. We gotta actively clean out idols. So I, um, at first I had a whole thing written here of like, here's some possible idols that may be in our homes. And I'm not gonna lie, that whole section was pretty good. But I believe God instead directed me to give us some idol detecting questions for us to use in our home. So that way we can take this home with our spouse, with our housemate, whoever, and ask the Holy Spirit to detect these idols in our home. And my prayer is that these would be like the smoke alarms in our houses. You know how loud them things are? Especially when the battery's dying. You gotta pull a chair, get up there, change it. But those things are loud enough to wake up sleeping people. And I'm, playing, I'm praying that these idol detecting questions would be like spiritual smoke alarms for us to wake us up to the idols that are trying to take up residence in our house and they do not belong there in Jesus' name. So let's do this, let's go through, there's four questions to detect these idols. Number one, and I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on either one, I'm just gonna let them sit and let you and the Holy Spirit do some work. What brings my home the most joy or the most sadness? What do you laugh about most and what do you cry about most? Laughter and tears are great revealers of God's. And I'm here to tell you, I believe this with my whole heart, when you begin to mourn about the things of God, that those tears are the first fruits of revival. I believe that with my whole heart. So what brings your home the most joy or the most sadness? Number two, what do I spend most of my time discussing in my home? And while that just sits, I'm gonna take a sip of water. You know, worship tends to consume, and I don't just mean singing. I mean, even in the Old Testament sacrifices, you would bring your sacrifice, you'd put it on the altar, and then you had to watch it burn. You had to watch it being consumed. And I'm telling you, whatever we are actively looking at, whatever we are actively consuming, whatever we are actively discussing might be revealing the God of our house. Let me put it another way. Y'all know people like when they're freshly in love? Lord, help us. They will not shut up about the other person. No matter what you talk about. You'd be like, yeah, I just bought a new refrigerator. They're like, man, I just love to chill with my girl. And it's like, that's not even what I was talking about. Why you gotta bring her or him up all the time? It's because love has a way of just overflowing out of what we say. So here's the question, as kindly as I can say it, what do we have trouble shutting up about? That might be the thing that is consuming us. Number three, what is the final say in decisions I make about my home? What is the final say? Because somebody has the final say, someone or something. Let me just toss that out there and then I'll retreat and go to number four. When it came time to overflow offering, who had the final say? Was it what your budget was saying or was it what the voice of God was saying? It might be revealing an idol. And number four, what do other people say my home feels like? What do other people say my home feels like? Because you know everybody's home has a feeling. And you know, I think it all comes down to the smell of a home. You know how everybody's home has a smell? Like you know what your grandma's house smells like? Mimi, if you're watching, smells beautiful. I love it. 
Everybody's home has a smell. I'm telling you, my mom and dad's home has a definite smell. It's because my mom stays on that Bath and Body Works plug-in game. You know what I'm talking about? But I walk in, it's like, oh, I'm home. You know, like it feels safe. It feels warm. It feels like the place where I grew up. You know, your house has an aroma to people and to God. My friend Courtney um, just bought a house down the street from me and she said a friend came over uh, not that long ago and without being asked said, man, I just felt such a peace when I walked in the door. And it's because I know personally that Courtney spent time praying over each and every room of her house and designating it to the Lord. And the Lord said, oh yeah, I'll come do that. I'll come clothe that place in peace. Maybe even better, what would God say your home feels like? You know that God has a favorite scent and it's not Juniper Breeze from Bath and Body Works? Me and uh, uh, some friends have been reading through the Bible in 90 days, um, which is a lot and I'm loving it. But we just finished up uh, Leviticus and um, Numbers and Deuteronomy, all that last week. And let me tell you what we all comment on that is everywhere. Everything's on fire. Blood, flesh, hair, you know, there's turtle doves, there's lambs, there's ox, there's goats, there's beans, there's greens, there's potatoes, tomatoes, lambs, rams, hogs, dogs. Everything's on fire. God seems to love a good grill, okay? Can you imagine, have, have y'all ever smelled burning hair? Yeah. The aroma that filled the camp was not pleasing to the human smell, but ooh, did God love that smell over and over and over again, it says it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Why? Because it was sacrificial obedience. And God cannot help but to oh, breathe deeply of sacrificial obedience and he, his presence has to run towards it. So church family, my question is, when it comes to this gap today, when it comes to our homes, is God breathing in a pleasing aroma into which his presence has to consume in our house? Does he find with our car a holy place where worship is constantly being offered up? Does he find with our couch a place where he can entrust sons and daughters to come and pour their hearts out and they'll find rest? Does he find our kitchen tables a place where he can work with us to prepare a table and the presence of the enemies trying to overcome our communities and overcome our nation and overcome our very families? Does God find a place where he can come and fill that gap? Because I think we can agree the time of playing games with Christianity is done with. Where we can fulfill the, the, the smallest possible quota and still feel comfortable calling ourselves Christians. No, that is what a complacent, religious, and apathetic spirit does. And I, for one, I cannot do it anymore. I can't do it. I refuse to rock less boats and lose more souls. It is time for us to be okay with losing some friendships, okay with losing some budget money, okay with losing the American dream and instead tuning in to the kingdom dream of heaven and asking God to fill our homes, church. This is us, this is who we were meant to be. Why is she yelling? Because this is the desperation of heaven right now. Why do you think everything's getting so loud? Because the enemy is trying to distract us from the fact that he is being cast out. He's being exposed, his tactics are being exposed, his hatred is being exposed, his heart is being exposed, and heaven is asking us, look and tune in, work with me to fill this gap so that Judges 2 never exists in this church and in this house. What's revival look like? I don't know, let's put our homes on the altar and find out.
So here's how we're gonna end today as I start to sweat. I'm gonna invite all of us at every campus to just go ahead and stand to your feet. And we're gonna sing a song called Welcome in This Place. And I'm inviting you and I'll be down front praying the same prayer that as we pray this, would you ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart and to give you a vision for what your home could look like, for what your kitchen table could look like. You know God wants to give you a vision. Whoa, don't get weird. I'm not getting weird, I'm getting biblical. In Joel it says in the last days that your sons and daughters would prophesy, that your young men would have visions and that your old men would dream dreams. It's time, older men in the house, it's time to dream again. I need your dreams. We need your dreams. To ask God to give you one and I believe he will rush to do it. So can we just bow our heads and close our eyes and before we sing this, I'm gonna pray a prayer that I wrote to bless us with, believing that blessings are real and that blessings matter. And so if you're willing, will you just put your hands out in front of you to receive this as we head into this next song? Father God, I pray for an outpouring of your spirit like never before on my church family. I pray for a hunger for your presence to consume all of our homes and as it does, may we search and find the pantry of God stored up with the inheritance secured for us by Christ himself, a table prepared in the presence of our enemies. May heaven find a home with us and let it rest as a covering over our doorposts. May every address become an outpost. May unity find a place to reign around our kitchen tables. May the hearts of fathers be turned to their sons and the hearts of sons be turned to their daughters, their fathers. May daughters find a security of identity as they watch their mothers delight in you. May the presence of darkness find itself even now retreating as heaven invades our houses, making every home become a beacon of light, calling every community to awaken. Holy Spirit, please, Stand at our doors and knock until we allow you full access. May revival sweep through our nation as it sweeps through our rooms and may the world look in and see South Carolina ablaze. If you will provide the fire, we will provide the sacrifice. And above all, may God be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.